Hey, welcome to the Likeability Podcast. I am so glad you are listening today. This is episode number 25. On this episode, we will continue to look at how likability helps strengthen your influence at work, at home, and with all of your relationships. Today, on this episode, it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Dan Summerlin to the vlog and the podcast, Likeability. We'll enjoy some discussion about aligning staff and volunteers around vision and here's some of Dan's personal principles for success. Let's join the interview now. Well, I am telling you, I am so excited today to be with a, a friend, a colleague, uh, someone I admire, someone who's a leader, an enterprise leader, uh, is Dr. Dan Summerlin. Uh, we have had been together in different scenarios, and he can speak to that. Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, being a career transition coach with him and his staff, but I count him now as a friend, and uh, we're going to have a great interview today. So, Dan, I want to—I'm just going to introduce you that way, and uh, you just kind of tell our audience a little bit about yourself, and then we might talk just a little bit of SEC football before we get too deep into this. <laughs> all right? Oh, I totally understand. Uh, I've been a pastor over 40 years. I just retired recently, a few months ago. Uh, I've been a pastor of a small church, medium-sized church, large church. And one of my gifts, I understand churches. I understand nonprofit organizations. And, and I also understand leadership because I was the only pastor at one place. And, and in my last church, we had over nine pastors and with over 85 employees. So I, I've learned leadership uh, from the trenches. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me. I, man, I love you. Uh, you really helped me. Uh, I remember when the first time I was going to uh, talk to you, I'm thinking, well, this guy can't help me. I, I know everything. And after the first session, I thought this is going to be invaluable. And so I've always enjoyed being with you, reading your material. Uh, I always learn something from you. So I just want to thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And it, I was, I'm always a little nervous meeting me. I met you. And then we uh, added the coaching. I already knew about you too. So that didn't help my nervousness a little bit because of your reputation across our this great national denomination that both of us have been involved in but we well, let's stop for a second because uh, i need I, we have some listeners that will appreciate i always either talk about the braves we talk about sec football a little bit i had some guys on dan um some months ago i had i had a georgia Georgia fan. I had a South Carolina, I mean, diehard Gamecock fan on. <laughs> and in the mix of that, I happened to have two LSU guys on all in one deal. It was crazy. One, one a vlog I did. And we had a, we had a good time. I had to edit some of it out, <laughs> but so this is what I know about Dan. So were you, you grew up in Tuscaloosa? I, yeah, I grew up in Northport, Alabama, which is across the river from Tuscaloosa. I grew up there. I uh, went to the University of Alabama there. Uh, all my family's there. All my wife's family's there. Uh, I think we're the only ones that ever moved away. And so my heart is with the University of Alabama. In fact, that's all I knew growing up as a, as a kid. We used to watch the Bear Bryant show every Sunday <laughs> afternoon as a family as he would dissect every play. So that's how that's my fondest memories growing up. Yeah, so that's crazy. My dad uh, was an antagonist. He had three brothers, all, and this is unusual for his generation, all three graduated from Auburn. My dad felt called to ministry really coming out of World War II, around 1948 or so. 
after the war was over, he he felt a call to ministry. So he, of the only, all the brothers, he went to Samford University. And then, so he decided just to pull for Alabama to make his brothers mad. So uh, for my listeners here, we won't stay on this very long, but I, I happened to have on my nicest Georgia uh, top today because I knew I'd have Dan on, but I see something in the back, back there. What is that on the wall back there, man? That is a statue uh, that, that Alabama received uh, in one of the national championships. Someone gave it to me. And then I took down, I had a picture of my autographed <laughs> Bear Bryant, but I took it down. I didn't want to offend you, but I saw the Georgia. I appreciate jacket. that. This is the so. only moment in time that I can kind of flaunt, flaunt Georgia a little bit. But I, Dan, uh, I had I did something special for Dan, my listeners here. My next door neighbor for many years down in Loganville, Georgia, uh, played for Bear Bryant. And uh, I mean, the whole house was decked out. So I got him to pull up his old card. It's almost like a baseball card and had him sign it to Dan. I took it up to Kentucky uh, some months back. So this this is this is always a fun time of the year. It fall has fallen in, in North Georgia. I'm looking out <laughs> at the mountains here. It's beautiful. So we're gonna jump in. I've admired from a distance and now really in close proximity to Dr. Summerlin's leadership qualities. And, you know, this is something I talk about with the staff that I serve and also clients in business is, you know, we have to find the proximity sometime. We have to pull in the proximity of our relationships inside of an organization and to individual leaders to, to lead them effectively. And so I want to talk about proximity in, in relationship to the alignment of people and that might include in some of your work that can be paid staff and that could be volunteer so i'm just going to leave it with you for a moment just talk give us some of your best practices dan that you have found that have really worked for you in your in your long tenured leadership life well, well first of all to align you have to know what you, what is your purpose uh everyone needs to be on the same page uh, you have so many people doing so many different kinds of jobs and if you're not careful, they forget the main purpose. And so constantly I'm telling people, reminding people, this is our objective. Uh, in fact, I think Rockefeller said that the number one quality of an executive is to keep everyone on purpose. And yeah. so that is the key to uh, alignment. Uh, I think in one of your books, you said uh, uh, alignment is purpose uh, plus expectation equals alignment. So we try to tell them, here's our purpose. And here's our expectation of how you can achieve that purpose. By nature, we drift away from purpose. Uh, by nature, we handle the urgency. And so we have to continue to remind people this is why we exist. And sometimes we forget. Uh, sometimes we forget uh, that everyone has a goal for that purpose. So, for example, years ago, I had a secretary that I moved to become our receptionist. What I didn't realize that she was angry with me. And I didn't know that for weeks. Uh, finally, someone told me she was mad and I met with her and she said, I did not think I should be demoted. And I said, oh, I, I am so sorry. I, it's my fault. I did not demote you because you have the best voice of anybody. You're friendly. You know the church. You are going to be the face of the church. So when people came into the church, you could answer their questions. When people called, you were friendly, you were inviting. I said, this was not a demotion. This was a promotion to me. I wanted everyone to see you. You set the foundation. So if someone calls, you talk to them, you 
put them at ease before they even talked to me. I never explained that to her. So she thought I was demoting her yeah. without me telling her the purpose of why I was doing it. Before you uh, go on, Dan, that's, an, that's a great example of something. I, call, I refer to it as executive agility. And that what you did is you reframed it, the role. There was some misunderstanding there. We Everyone has those. But what you did is reframed it. And I use it sometimes in my training. I'll go open a door in a training room and you'll have the U-shaped uh, folks, you know, sitting around U-shaped tables and everybody looks out the door from a different perspective, right? That's good. And I use that to frame or help people understand the framing. You've reframed it for her. So I'd love to hear the end of the story. How did she feel about it once you reframed it? Oh, she loved it. Uh, all of a sudden she had more purpose. She had more energy uh, when she came to work. She realized that not only was she helping me, she was helping everyone in the organization. And so when she retired, she told me the last few years of her, uh, 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 she worked with us were actually were her best years because finally she saw why she was doing what she was doing and realizing that she had a greater purpose, not just working for a, a person, a minister. Uh, she was working for the whole organization and she was working for God. So she, she loved it. And I, again, I apologized again because I did not realize that she thought this was a demotion. And well, so, to be able to, to be able to be a, a, to apologetic as a leader is another whole episode. We'll have to we'll have to go, reconvene around that one <laughs> idea. I wrote an article some years ago, probably 12, 15 years ago, and I decided to tackle the topic of uh, being apologetic as a leader. And it mainly went out to corporate folks. My staff sent it out. It was in PDFs back then, just kind of like a white paper. And I had a guy that I was coaching that got it somehow. Uh, through through our, our sending out and he said i don't agree with this and in his coaching session he told me why that showed too much weakness as a leader <laughs> to to apologize but what you just said in we talk about proximity to an issue you brought it in really close and you reframed it for her so she bought in to your executive agility to be able to shift and recognize a, a leverage a pace, place for her so what else are some of the some of the best practices you've seen in this alignment thing? This is probably one of the hardest leadership core competencies is aligning people to purpose and vision, isn't it? I, I think it is because what we have to do as leaders is to understand the purpose and then understand all the aspects of it. So in our organization, in our church, we have a lot of volunteers. Uh, I would take the volunteers and ask, what, how are they connecting to the purpose? For example, in our church, we have something called greeters. Uh, greeters meet people at the door. They welcome them. They say, hello, uh, can I uh, sit with you? Can I show you where to sit? And and so I, I met with the greeters and told them, do you realize what you're doing? You're setting the foundation. Before they hear me preach, you're setting the foundation. Studies have shown about, uh, about take seven minutes before a person will decide if they're going to come back or not, which means They've already made up their minds before I, I preach. And so I told the greeters, you are setting me up for success. When you uh, put them at ease, you find them a good seat, you make them feel special, now they're gonna listen to me better. And they didn't realize that. They, they just thought they were just saying, welcome to the church and here's a bulletin. And all of a sudden they began to realize it. So I took our organization, I began to break down all the different goals, all the different roles and ask, how does this connect to our purpose? Did the same thing for our staff. Uh, we would meet with staff weekly or a staff retreat and just go over, this is your job. This is what you're doing 
for the purpose. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we start doing it for ourselves and we forget the overarching pur purpose. Well, I love that. There's a lot there. Let's talk about the difference for a second of motivating and reframing and aligning a volunteer. For, let's do that first, because you just alluded to both of them and you, had, you offered a best practice for both. And then let's talk maybe the nuance that's different with a paid staff member, because our listeners, some will be nonprofit leaders and have volunteers in their nonprofits where there's some salaried folks. And then others will be listening here that everybody's paid. And then there's some listening that maybe are in religious organizations that will have the same basic split that you would have between volunteers and paid. So let's talk about volunteers first, the nuances of maybe style that you use and maybe words that you say with a volunteer and, and versus a paid staff. Yeah, with volunteers, you have to be very careful because they are volunteers. Uh, you can't force them to do anything. Everything they do, they do because they want to. And so you can't go to volunteers and say, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. You cannot be in their face to, to get them to do something. You've got to motivate them. You've got to encourage them. You've got to build them up. Uh, you've got to be personal with them. Uh, you can't be just, a, quote, a boss walking down the hallway and saying, hey, you need to do this. Uh, for a volunteer, they need to feel like you care for them, that you love them more. Uh, for a paid staff, you need to, they need to know you care for them. But at the end of the day, they're doing it for money. And they're also can be fired. And they understand that. They can they can leave and go somewhere else for pay. So that's a different mindset. Uh, so with a uh, paid person, they see me more often. They see me during the week. A volunteer, they may see me once a week. And mm -hmm. so I have to be more careful with the volunteer, what they see when I'm with them. Yeah. Well, uh, something you uh, just said uh, reminded me of some things my dad said to me. My dad was uh, 54 years in the same church, well, but I grew up like every, they... I, I, I grew up like m many kids. I mean, I didn't see my dad as a, a pastor uh, all the time, but he, uh, he said, I, I want to change your have to, to your want to, your have to, to your want to. Now, Dan, right now, the audio is still going, but you're you're frozen. So can you hear me and let me know that I, I, we can continue the recording? I, I, so you hear me? I am. It uh, sounds like can it's a little. you still hear me? I can still hear you and you're frozen, but now it's better. Can you hear me okay? Thumbs up. You hear me okay, Dan? How about now? Yeah, that's good. And we we can we can take care of that in the recording. Yeah, I, I said this and I'll I'll repeat it in case there's a glitch there when we go back and edit. But I, you said something important, and that is my dad taught me. Got I've got to. I need you to get your have to to your want to. You know, and there's a there's actually right. a con, there's a continuum there for volunteers too, and that is they comply with what you ask them to do, and but they can grow into be committed into what for to what you've asked them to do. 
So right. can you speak to that little space between compliance to commitment? And we'll also apply that to paid staff here in just a second. I think sometimes volunteers, part of that, in my opinion, is also training them uh, to, so they can understand why they're doing what they're doing. So once you explain, then all of a sudden, oh, I want to do this. And so, our, for example, our greeters, oh, I really want to do this, and, or whatever organization it is, I, you know, they, they hear what they're doing has purpose. They hear what they're doing is going to be significant. And all of a sudden, it makes them feel better. And so they want to do it. So it goes from uh, a have to, to I want to, which is, which is. And, I, and, and for the listeners, I would grab on to that tip or that scenario that Dan just said that it, it's, people make their decision, especially in nonprofits and churches in seven minutes, start thinking about that. And, and the same thing would be business listeners. What, what's your atrium? What's your receptionist look like? What does that whole environment look like? So that's that's an immediate opportunity to align, whether it's a customer, congregational member, stakeholder, no matter how we want to describe them. Mm -hmm. Now, now let's jump over again to just to paid staff for a moment. You've worked in, in and out of churches, but also you've worked in denominational things. You've, you've been on teams, you've been on committees. So let's kind of talk through right now the st paid staff and alignment best practices that you've seen. Again, you have the overarching purpose of the organization. Then the paid staff, they are doing something to that purpose. Uh, and so sometimes they get so focused on doing that one assignment, they forget the purpose. And so you, you keep reminding them also with training, also in how to reward them because paid staff people, you can reward different ways. Uh, some is, is a raise. Some is just recognition. Uh, some is public praise. Some, they just want to listen to you. They, they, want, they want time with the leader. You know, mm -hmm. you find out how to reward people and they're all different. And, and as you're rewarding them, because what gets rewarded gets done. Uh, that's a John Maxwell quote. And so you see something that's being done right, you reward it quickly and they'll do it again. That's, and, that's a great that's a great tip. Um, there was a book out years ago. You, I know you've read it about the five love languages. And I was teaching in a, uh, a retreat environment in a nonprofit, but it was somewhat blended more towards corporate environment the way it was done. And I've mentioned that book. A few people I could tell knew that what I was talking about. But I said, as an employee or a leader, what is your love language? And mm -hmm. they got they caught on to what I said. And that's what you're referring to with motivating and aligning a staff member. And this one guy said, to be honest with you, I love all your material, but for me, it's a check, man. It's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a yeah. check. And he was, at least he was honest in front of his, his peers. Mm -hmm. And that's, he was working. And, and the backstory was he had a young child and he and his wife were struggling and they just kind of launching their life together. And he, yep, every check was important <laughs> to him and he would work hard for it. So that's, helps to align okay especially if you have younger younger people on your staff they really want a seat at the table uh, they really want to hear they want to hear the, the leader you don't have to even listen to or li follow through but they really want to be listened to so that's another reward system that, that my generation forgets but the younger generation they really desire that well, I love that. And we probably could do another episode, which we probably, I'm sure we'll do. Now let's jump over to likability. 
And, I, and you, you know, you can speak to, I use this with your team. Like most teams, I have my, I write my own resources. But was there anything in the book that you, you would say was important for you and you thought that I might have hit the target on something, anything? It doesn't matter what it is. Well, I thought you hit the target of the whole book. Uh, your, your statement, just talking about likability, is the secret sauce of leadership is key. Uh, for some reason, we, we forget that as leaders. If the people don't like you, they're not going to follow you. And what happens sometimes, we look at leaders and, and we think, well, they weren't likable and people followed them. But if you examine it, they probably were likable. Uh, I was at a church in Tuscaloosa and, and one day I was visiting a man in the hospital and, and, and we were talking and he casually mentioned he was the driver for George Patton. And I said, <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, I've known you for years. You're just telling me this. And, and so I asked him all these questions about Patton and he said, uh, we love Patton. He said, now, at first we were scared of him and then we were scared of displeasing him. So uh, George Patton was likable by his you know, followers. He wasn't likable to the people above him. And if you read his biography, he missed out on a lot of promotions because they didn't like him. So you gotta be likable uh, eventually because if not, it will bite you. And so I, I love that part of your, your book that we've got to be likable. It is the secret sauce. Yeah. Was there any other chapter or section or quote or anything in there you could share? And, yeah, I think uh, uh, actually two chapters, uh, chapter uh, chapter three and chapter seven on encouragement. Uh, probably my favorite chapters because first of all, you made a comment I never thought about. That the word encouragement means to put in strength. And so whenever we encourage someone, we are putting something into them for them to become stronger. And I've never thought about that. And that really helped me in, in thinking about encouragement. Uh, just how to encourage people. Uh, you mentioned bringing value to them. Uh, you talked about uh, you know planning your encouragement and it's something I've, I've been doing for years. Uh, some of us, we have to sit down and plan it out. And I did. I mean, every morning I would sit down and I'd write out, who do I need to encourage this week? Uh, it may be a phone call, maybe a letter, maybe a staff person, maybe a church mm -hmm. member, maybe a community leader. And I would make the list. And during the week, I would send out those information however I, I had to. Uh, but I, I love those two chapters. And I think it's interesting. You had two chapters on encouragement. Uh, yeah, I, read, I, I, I got into it. Well, yeah, I got into it. I'm not the best organizer in the world. I, I'm my own publisher. So, yeah, I had too much material for one. But but you as a you know in the, the biblical languages Hebrew and Greek you know that word studies are important, and so what I what I always try to do is I build a framework for a book or for a course or a workshop I want to teach or and I, when I, as I'm designing it I, I make just like you would build a sermon or a speech. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I frame it, then I see what other people are saying, then I get do some word studies on my some the what I call the power word. So encourage is a little bit like inspire. Inspire is the opposite of expire. Mm -hmm. When we breathe our last breath, we have expired. When we breathe into somebody else who we are, we have inspired them. And the same thing in the the word encouragement in the English study, it's it's putting courage into or giving courage to somebody. Mm -hmm. And sometimes encouragement can just be a pat on the back that I talk about in that chapter, but sometimes it's more than that. It's you exactly, uh, you alluded to it exactly of bringing a millennial or a Gen Xer or a, 
a Z-Gen into the ta big table with the big boys and girls to sit and be heard and respected is is putting courage in them, encouraging them. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you grabbed onto that chapter. And uh, any other word about the chapter? But I wanna, I'm gonna ask you something else here before we close. Again, I just think, I think it's very important. If, if you're gonna be likable, you gotta encourage people. Uh, we're, we're living in a world that we just tear people down. Uh, it's a very negative world. It's a very sarcastic world. Uh, the person who comes along and put their arms around somebody's shoulder and say, hey, you're special, you, uh, you're, you're making a difference, uh, I like you, or just spending time talking with someone. Because we, we have a tendency, especially as a pastor in a large church, to look for the important people. Well, the moment you do that, you missed it. Because you now say there's some people not important. And so you got to walk slow in a crowd. Uh, because you have no idea what one word may mean. So after my when I retired, I don't know how many letters, my wife and I talked about this, cards and notes, saying you don't remember, but you said this in the hallway and it made a difference. Or you said this in a note. And I don't remember, but I was amazed how many people, it was the little things that made a difference. Yeah, and that's a lifestyle with you. And so that translates across boundaries of religious work or nonprofit work or business work. It works everywhere. Mm -hmm. I had somebody tell me recently that old schools become new school. Handwritten note is now, a, it's a novelty. I went into someone's uh, hospital room that they were not only not affiliated with the church, they had a, a no God view. I won't take, stay there long, but I just decided because they were a coaching client of mine, I would go see them in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was novel. That was I was a non-family member going to the hospital to see a guy that was a corporate. He was a young leader, but I went to see him because he was having surgery. Not only was he happy to see me, he said, look over there on that bulletin board. And I had written him a handwritten note and he had stuck it up in his hospital room. Now he got balloons and he got flowers, but he got one note right. in his circle of people and it's what you're talking about. That old school became so novel and special to him. So encouragement, leaders listening to me, no matter what sector you're working in, if you can, when you bring courage to somebody by what you say or do, they're gonna be better at whatever you ask them to do, whether they're a volunteer or you're paying them to do it. They're gonna have more courage because of it. Now, now listeners, uh, I follow Dan, uh, on on social media, and, he, and you have these minute moments, yeah, motivational motivations. Mo Monday motivation. So, I don't know if you can pull one up. I used one of yours. Uh, I got to speak a few weeks ago to a state champion volleyball girls volleyball team in Greenwood, Arkansas, where my son's a pastor, and he said, "Dad." I want you to do this. And I, of course I, I did it. And I said, let me find something. I had put it, I had, I found something, Dan Summerlin, who I'm interviewing now had said, so I, I can't even remember which one it was, but could, do you have one and tell people how to find it? It's on my Facebook. Um, uh, you know, it's Dan Summerlin Facebook. I'm, let me pull one up now. I got to get my phone going. Uh, it, it started, uh, I, I wrote one, one morning, uh, something I told my children. Uh, life's a choice is the first one that everything you do is a choice and uh, in fact my daughter said dad we heard this all our lives and I, that's what I did and the response was so amazing uh, every Monday I, I publish one so I'll, I'll pull one up uh, which one you just want me a random one or 
Yeah, well, just one, you know, one over pops up there. Just kind of read it so the people can know what it is, and then uh, we can talk. You know, they can find it through your social media, your Facebook. Okay, this, this is the last one I did. Is called endings. Endings are more important than beginnings. Why? Because people always remember how we end, but they rarely do remember how we begin. People will remember our last day. People will remember our last event. People will remember our last words, and they will remember our last actions. How we end matters. Now, please do not misunderstand. Beginnings are important. It's just endings are more important. Have you ever noticed ESPN rarely shows the beginning of a race, but they will show the ending of a race? ESPN will rarely show the beginning of the game, but they will show the ending of the game. ESPN will rarely show the first game of a career, but they will talk about the last game of a career. So on April 13th, 2016, Kobe Bryant scored 60 points on his last pro game and people still remember and talk about it. Yet on November 3rd, 1996, during his first pro game, he scored zero and no one remembers that game. How you end is usually what people remember. Abraham Lincoln lost five elections before becoming president. George Washington lost more battles than he won before America won its independence. But we don't talk about their past failures, we talk about how they ended. So here's the good news. Since you haven't finished your life yet, you can change your ending. Your ending hasn't been written, and therefore you can write out how you want to finish, how you want people to remember you. You can still write out your legacy. What do you want your family to say about you? Then do it now. What do you want your coworker to say about you? Then do it now. What do you want your family of faith to say about you? Then do it now. What do you want God to say about you? Then do it now. It is never too late to change our endings. C.S. Lewis wrote, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the endings. This week, begin to rewrite your endings for how people will remember you. Wow. So that's worth the whole podcast and video, my listeners, <laughs> and you'll get to hear this again. It'll come out in uh, Likeability Podcast, which you can find over eight or nine uh, platforms. So Dr. Dan Summerland, good friend. I'm so glad that we uh, had the privilege to hear you today. And uh, let's just say this, and you can send this to all the Georgia fans that go dogs. You got anything to offer? A roll tide. Roll tide. <laughs> I'll see you, man. Thank Great you very interview. much. Talk to you soon. I'll let you, you buy my dinner this next time, all right? I will do it. All right, bye. See you. Bye-bye. I want to thank Dr. Dan Sumlin so much for joining me today, and I am grateful for his friendship and his solid leadership insights also. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast, Likeability, and tell your friends where to find it. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow for great content and some special offers. My book, Likeability, can be purchased on Amazon or Audible and now on Spotify. Remember, you can work on your likability to create greater influence and impact on your relationships until next time, this is Dr. Rick Forbus.